guys, quick shout out to all of our sponsors. Started with Taigatu. This is a brand that's based out here in the Northwest. Started by two brothers and their motto is freedom from ordinary. This brand is an amazing lifestyle brand. Go check them out, Taigatu. Use the code TOPRATINGMMA for a discount at the checkout. Reweb, they're a veteran owned digital marketing agency and they're on a mission to help one million small businesses and feed one billion people by giving back. In fact, if you go to their website, you can fill out a form right now. They will give you a personalized video review of your website and help you with some strategies for free. Just tell them Top Radio May sent you. Go check them out, rewebbed.com. Combat flags, they do flags like the one behind me and the original combat flag, which is a four by six inch flag made by fatigues that are donated to combat flags from soldiers that wore them. And the cool thing is every combat flag that comes out to you has the story of the soldier that wore that fatigue. They have donated close to $80,000 to Stop Soldier Suicide, a great organization. Go check them out, Combat Flags. Rep Sports, look, this is not your typical supplement store. These guys have everything and they taste great and it's good prices. Protein, weight loss, muscle build, pre-workout, you name it, they've got it. Plus, they're the makers of Ray's Energy. Like I said, go check them out. Rep Sports at TopRatedMMA.com. Use the code TOPRATEDMMA for 15% off your order and go order them today. Dan, you're a strategist, speaker, visionary, mentor. You're the author of The Mosaic. You're also a podcast host and you lived as a monk for 10 years. Much more. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's my honor, brother. It's, uh, you know what's missing today in the world? is the time for conversation. Oh, yes, so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I like to go back a little bit. What was childhood like for you? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Philly. I don't okay. think I've ever grown up. I was born in Philly. Okay, sure. I, I haven't grown up quite yet. Uh, yeah. Born in Philadelphia. And I had, um, when I hear about the way kids are raised and I hear about all the problems that happened in, in in childhood and with families as much as i i want to like understand it and feel and and try and feel what people are going through i didn't grow up, up that way i ha- we had a beautiful family we had my my we had a mom i had a mom and dad that loved and adored me i had a dad that worked really hard and was poor as could be but he was he worked hard he was an amateur boxer so whenever my brother and i had a disagreement he said let's go down to the carpet downstairs the only problem was my brother was four years older than me okay so at eight and four that's like uh you know i would go in for the kamikaze hit and then go running and my brother would say no you got to stay on the carpet i said no i don't no way in the whole world and, and we sat at the dinner table and we laughed with each other and we enjoyed each other. My mom was always home to make milk and cookies for us when we came home. And, wow. and we always had a fresh meal, you know, a nice dinner together. And we spent that time together talking. Um, TV was a lot less visible than it is today. There were a few channels. Yeah. I remember my dad sitting with the radio on and singing Nat King Cole songs oh, to wow. the radio and my mom sort of swooning around him because she loved his voice. And yeah. we sat on the couch and just, you know, like covered our eyes and couldn't believe it. Right. Um, sure. But it, it, it was, it was the only thing that happened in my family that was terrible is they left too soon. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad passed away two years apart on the same day wow. when I was 13 and when I was 15. Okay. And, and so my hero was taken from me very quickly, very quickly, Yeah, which was my dad. I was a mini me before mini me's were invented. 
mm-hmm. uh, we would walk down the shore at, at Atlantic City, and there's a boardwalk there. And I would be a three-foot version of a six-foot version. Okay. And I would hold his ring finger, and we would walk, and people would just stop their bikes and look at us and take pictures. Wow. And I said, Dad, Dad, why are people taking pictures of us? Like, what are we doing? And my dad would laugh. And he said, I think they think the way we walk and the way we look and the ways our bodies are shaped are exactly the same. And you look exactly like me, just a smaller version. And people don't see that often, all that often. Right. So. Wow. But when they passed, it changed me. Sure. There was that. When I wrote when I write in the mosaic, because it's a fabulized story of my life about the people that I met not meant to be the story of my life meant just to be a story but it is the story of my life okay and when i in the mosaic when i asked the adults where my parents went they tell me that they went to a place called heaven Mm. and what i realized as a kid i set out in search of that place called heaven so i was offered amazing opportunities when my when my parents passed away we were going to go live with my friend's parent, you know, my best friend. I was going to go live with my best friend's parents. My brother was going to go live and they were close to each other and we would have been by each other. But my aunt and uncle, my mother's sister, who we didn't really know that well because they lived in the middle of the country and we lived in the East Coast. Mm. And we were, we were pretty poor. Um, they came and said, we're going to take you with us. And it turns out my uncle was a household name. Okay. And so we went from a lower middle-class family to an upper, upper, upper elite family. Mm-hmm. And my uncle looked at me and he said, I'm going to be watching you over the next month and a half, two months, because I don't have any, I have three daughters. And it's, those were the days when you didn't give your big business over to your daughters. It just was, it was unheard of. Right. Thank God those days have changed, but that yeah. was 50, 50 some years ago. Sure. And it wasn't that way. So he said, I'm going to watch you because I'm going to, I'm going to look to see if you have the potential in you that I can mentor you and shape you and, and, and give you over my company so that, and he, about a month and a half later, he took me out to lunch and he said, you're peculiar, but I think you have something in you that I could mentor. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to make you an offer today. That's going to change your life. And I said, okay, what's that offer? He said, I'm going to, I'm going to tomorrow morning after school, tomorrow after school, I'm going to take you to the office. I'm going to get, give you the broom and you're going to start pushing a broom and you're going to work your way from the pushing a broom to my, to my seat at the head of uh, the head of the boardroom. Wow. I think it'll take us about 15 years to get you there. I'm going to let you rise on your own to your own level. And then I'm going to lift you up through mentorship. And one day, 15, 20 years from now, now you're 15, when you're 30 or 35, um, you'll be running a million dollar company. Wow. And I said, I said, oh my God, that's so kind to you. I said, but you took a month and a half to watch me. I'd like a year and a half. I'm just a kid. I'd like a year and a half. I'd like a year to watch you. Right. And Come he on. said, he said, um, well, do you realize that 99.9999999 say nine until you drop dead? Right. Percent of the people would have said, where's the broom closet? Can't we go to today? Yep. Um, I said, just our rotten luck. I'm the point oh, 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 say oh until you're about to drop dead and put a one in there. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not interested in being something I don't know what it is. Right. So I want to watch you and see how you live your life. If you're happy, if what you do, what, what, what your money affords you. And we went out to lunch a year later and he said, do you have an answer 
question. I said, yeah, I do. It comes in the form of three questions. And I asked him those questions. And at the end of those questions, I said, what do you think? He said, I don't think we're going to do it. Mm. I said, I think you're right. And I walked away and he said, I'm going to have to excommunicate you. You know that. Whoa. And I said, I didn't, I said, I didn't really know that, but I'm under, I'm, I'm just happy for the time you brought me in. I didn't know you from Adam before. I, you, you gave me a, a year and a half of beautiful life. Yeah. And I, I just want to thank you for that. That's what a beautiful opportunity you've shown me. Mm. <clears throat> and to their credit, they tried to re retract the excommunication several times by offering me other offers. Oh. But every offer, every offer had a string attached to it. Yeah. A string of control. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't in the place. I was, I was an, an angry boy for losing my parents. Sure. And I, I didn't really, I didn't know these people and I didn't want to sell my freedom now mm-hmm. for their control. Yeah. Wow. Most people think I'm crazy. My aunt says, I don't want you to mention the name of the company. I did it. And she said, you're just trying to use us for your benefit. I said, the only thing that I, the only thing that people think of me when they hear that story is what an idiot. So there's no benefit I'm getting from it. It's just that it just wasn't mine to do. Yeah. And so I always say to my, to people and to myself, I, you can try your best to be somebody else and be, and make a lot of money and be really wealthy, but you'll never be happy for me. I would never be happy. Right. I would rather fail miserably at being myself than try and be successful being somebody else. And I yeah. wouldn't have been able to be myself. Yep. Wow. What an unbelievable story. I mean, and then it maybe kind of ties into the next question here or next topic here. You end up working your way up to director of business development for Hay House, your major part of them growing from $3 million to $100 million a year. Most eyes, that's a very successful life. Why did yeah. you decide to walk away from the corporate life at that point? Um, a, a great, great question. You know, between that, between when I left my aunt and uncles and I, and I went to Hay House, I, uh, I spent five years in a rabbinical school and left one day before becoming a rabbi. Wow. I spent 10 years in a monastery living as a monk and yeah. walked away from, and walked away from that. And I then went to Hay House and I didn't really have to work my way up. I would, I, I spoke to the guy who was running Hay House and I said, here's some ideas. And he said, I just, I just want you to do them. He said, I've watched you and your other, in your other company you're working with to have multi-million dollar uh, ideas that nobody lets you do. I want to let you do them. And so over the course of just a few ideas that we initiated, he said, I want you to be director of business development. And we together grew that company unbelievable amounts. Yeah. Um, Eric, all I can say to you is that the way I saw the world, maybe because it was from my experience with my uncle and my aunt, maybe it's because of the authors that I saw along the way. Maybe it's because of my own shortcomings. Most likely it's because of my own shortcomings. It wasn't anything anybody else did. Yeah. What I saw is how much people changed when they thought they were somebody. How success and money corrupted and changed a person's point of view. I found some of the most beautiful people you could ever imagine to be authors at Hay House. Mm. And some of those people became the biggest assholes you ever wanted to meet because they started to listen to everybody's telling them how great they were. And they forgot that they were just normal people. Yeah. 
And I remember sitting with one guy and saying that to him. And he said to me, if you ever, Danny, ever, ever, ever see me doing that, I want you to bend me down and kick me in the ass. And I said, I said, really? He said, yeah, no, I'm really, really serious. I said, are you really serious? He said, no, I told you two times already. I'm really serious. I said, then bend over. And he said, no, I'm really serious. I said, no, I am too. And he wouldn't talk to me for about five years after that. Wow. Okay. But I realized I'm a big enough asshole on my own. I don't need to have all that come into me. And and so I, but what happened in that, Eric, is I, I walked away from who I was. Mm. I, 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 that's where I'm comfortable playing. I, I've been able to sit with some of the richest people in the world. I've been able to sit with some of the most spiritual people in the world not in their auditoriums or in their lecture halls, but in their homes and around their bed, their dining room tables, in their living rooms, playing with their kids. I've been lucky enough to receive their counsel and really fortunate enough to have them ask me about counsel. Mm. But I've also been lucky enough to sit on street corners with some of the poorest people the world's ever known. I've sat on their cardboard boxes. I've shared meals with them too. I've listened to the stories of their, of their families. I've, I've met sometimes their families. I've sat with them and asked their counsel on things and they've given me their counsel and they've asked my counsel on things too. And one of the things that I realized, Eric, that it doesn't matter how much money you have or what color your skin or what border you live behind. It doesn't matter what religion you're a part of or not a part of. It doesn't matter how much education you have or no education, how big your house or how torn your cardboard box. What I realized is everybody wants the same exact thing. We want to be loved and accepted. We want to be listened to and heard. We want to be acknowledged and validated. Yeah. And I realized I could do that. Mm. And one of the things that helped me to see that was the writing of this book, because what it showed me is the reason I walked away from all those opportunities. And I had tons of opportunities. I've had more opportunities than most people ever dreamed that they could have. If they could have one of those possibilities, they would be happy. Yeah. I walked away from probably 10 or 15 of those. And I realized when I, I wondered, I wondered, what are you just stupid and you can't like make a commitment? And what are you like, what are you just trying to sabotage your life? Like, what are you, some kind of idiot? But then when I wrote the mosaic, I realized that none of them were the heaven I was seeking. Mm-hmm. And what I found in the simplicity of the common people, I would, I would go to them and I would look at them because in my search for heaven, the people I ended up meeting was the road worker and the homeless guy and the blind woman and the juice man and the, and the uh, gardener. And I wondered, why am I meeting these people? I mean, these aren't the rabbis and the clergy and the swamis and the gurus and all the people that I think are going to make me, you know, see heaven. And I thought, I'm here with them. Why not just listen to them? Yeah. And in well, listening to them, what I saw over and over and over again is the person that I initially saw wasn't at all who they were. The more I sat with them, the more, I, the more I saw them, and the more what I saw was something so beautiful that I had never given myself a chance to see when I was just looking at them from a first impression. Mm-hmm. And when I realized over and over again that the world I saw was not the world that is, I wondered what the world would look like if I got out of my own way. Like what would happen if I didn't see the world that I saw? What would happen if I could see the world that I didn't see? Right. And that became the mysterious, mystical alchemist journey of starting to push myself to the side 
and say, now what do I see? When I talk with people or I work with people or I go into companies and I sit with them, I come in in a t-shirt and jeans oftentimes to a three-piece suit, can, you know, boardroom. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and they think, they think like, what are you doing here? Right. And I say, oh, um, I'm here to do something on innovation with you guys. They say, well, do you need a place to change clothes? And I said, oh, really? Um, so do you want me to look like you so that I can teach you how to not see who you are, see the same way you are? Or, or can you see something in here that might give you a new way of seeing the world you're looking at? Yeah. If you can't get past this, you've already paid me. I might as well go home, hire somebody in a three-piece suit. Right. And they say, no, 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 stay. <laughs> and, and the innovations that we've turned up by just sliding everything that we believe to the side and re-looking at the same thing we looked at before and seeing it totally different. In Zen, they have a beautiful saying. They call the Zen mind is the beginner's mind. It's doing what you've done for the thousandth time over and over and over and over and over as if you've never done it before. Every time you do it, you see it with a fresh new mind as if you've never done what you've done, what you're doing before. And what would that look like? How would that world look to you? Yeah. Wow. I, one of the questions that I wanted to ask is when you hitchhiked around the world, one, well, was there an experience that you encountered that made the biggest impact on you on that journey? Every experience. Every experience. What, I mean, what, I mean, I remember, I can tell you th a thousand of them. If I sit yeah. here, I remember I was just talking about this to yeah. someone the other day. I remember being on the Isle of Patmos in, in the Greek islands. And I, I, I rented a moped and I just wanted to drive through the, the island and see the island. And you could drive the whole island in a, in a day by circling it. And this island was so beautiful. And there were olive trees all over the island. And I was driving through and there were these women and old women in their little babushkas picking olives and putting them into their aprons. And as I came driving by, they, they looked and the ones closest to the road did this. They waved and they waved. And I thought, oh, oh God, what did I do? What, you know, am I, am I messing something up? Yeah. And I stopped, obviously. And I just sat, I stood there and they came running like five or six or eight of them came running. And with their babushkas full of olives and laid their, laid their aprons down on the ground like a tablecloth. And we just ate olives together and, and sat and laughed. I didn't know one word of Greece. Of Greece. Wow. They didn't know one word of English. But the communication we had, there was so much love and they were so happy to feed me their olives from their place. And why wow. they did it, I don't know. I remember being in Paris and I didn't want to take a, cam a camera because I didn't want to have the responsibility and I'm a terrible artist. I'm not a good artist, <laughs> but I had a pencil and some paper and I sat on a street corner drawing and people from the neighborhood came and brought me food and, and wine and bread and sat with me. We, again, I didn't speak any French. They didn't speak any English and they, we just shared a meal and they watched me draw. And I said to them, I, I gave the paper to them and I said, you draw, yeah. you know, like you draw with me and we'll make this together. Um, there were so many, there were, there were times where I was sitting in the, under a bridge and it was pouring down rain and a car would stop out of nowhere and say, come with me, I'll take you home with me. I remember being, getting off a train and in the middle of nowhere and not knowing where I was. And a man came up to me and said, 
where are you staying tonight? And I said, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And he said, well, come with me. You can stay in my place. Wow. What touched me over and over and over and over again, Herrick, is this world is a beautifully kind world. Yeah. People naturally want to help each other. And in fact, when I finished writing the mosaic, the mosaic said to me, you know, you were 18 then, now you're 65. Your body doesn't work so well, but I want you to get back out on the road. And I was about to take another trip around the world and do that again. Yeah. And I was about to film people and talk to people about what is it they would want to say if they could say something to the world. Mm -hmm. Because I wanted to hear what the voice of the voiceless people would say. Yeah. And originally I thought that would be the homeless people and the downtrodden and people that nobody looked at. But I was sitting here preparing for my trip and my wife said something to me. And I said, yeah, that would be a great idea. And she looked at me and she said, hold on a minute. You didn't hear a word I said, did you? <laughs> and I said, no, I didn't, to be honest. I'm so sorry. And she said, so the great listener who's going to go out and listen to the world doesn't even hear a word his wife is saying to him. <laughs> and I said, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And I made a line in the sand that I would go March 1st on my trip because I had been postponing it because I was, I, was, I was frightened. Now I was older and frightened and my body had pain in it and I didn't know if I could do it. And yeah. I was looking for sponsors and car sponsors and hotel sponsors and I was making all these beautiful excuses so that I didn't have to go. And then I said, no, screw it. I'm going to go March 1st no matter what. The Jews have a great saying. They say man plans and God laughs. All right. Well, I think she had a good laugh on me because March 1st was like one week after COVID hit right. and nobody was going anywhere. Yeah. Wow. One of the things that you speak about is, is living connected to your purpose. How do people get to that state of figuring out what their purpose is? Great question. What the mosaic has taught me and I don't know why it picked me. I'm the least likely person. Yeah. It, it wants me to talk to people about how to, be, how to live a connected life. Mm. I was connected, but I was connected to spirit. I was connected. Like I, I, if I had my druthers, I would be in a three-star cave in the Himalayas, okay. sitting and just meditating for the rest of my life. That, that's yeah. the connection that I'd seek. That's the connection that I love, like. Yeah. But that wasn't the connection I was being given. I was being told to work with people and help people to, to reconnect the disconnected world. And most people, when I ask them, what's connection mean? They say, this is connection. You and I talking to each other, being open and vulnerable and connecting. But this is actually the fourth stage of connecting. Hmm. There are three more that come before that. There's connection to self that comes first. And I know I'm answering a long question, but each one no. of these is a step that leads to it. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, this is great. The first step is connection to self. What happens is we're so disconnected to ourselves. We think we live in a world now where everybody's wondering what their superpowers are. And everybody's going around saying, this is my superpower. This is my superpower. You know what? That's an unsustainable reality in my mind. Mm. We've forgotten how beautiful the ordinary is. Yeah. When, we, when we see the sunrise in the morning, it's the most exquisite thing you could ever see. And it's the most ordinary thing that happens. It happens every day. We know exactly the time it's going to happen. When the buds on a, on a flower open up or the buds of a tree open up the flower, it's the most beautiful thing that ever happens. When the leaves change color and fall, we know exactly the time they're going to do it. Give or take a week, we know exactly when the leaves are going to change. It's right. the most beautiful thing and it's ordinary. Right. 
I think we've forgotten how beautiful ordinary is. And so we build up these extraordinary situations because everybody wants to be extraordinary, but it's not sustainable. So we end up loathing ourselves and hating ourselves because we can never reach the bar that we set for ourselves. Yeah. And so when we connect and then we end up beating ourselves up because we don't reach that. So if I'm doing this all day, eventually I realize, well, I got to put this hand up to protect myself because I'm going to knock myself out. <laughs> right? right. And so we hit ourselves and then we put this wall around ourselves. And then what happens is when I meet you, my wall meets your wall and we don't have any intimacy. There's no, there's no real connection. I'm hiding behind my wall. You're probably hiding behind your wall too. And we don't, and our walls meet and we think we're connected. Right. But yeah. But yes, we're not. That's not connection. So when we're kind to ourselves, we can bring down the wall. Once we bring down our wall, we go, whoa, look at the world out here. It's amazing. This is, this is incredible. Like there's something. So first you connect to yourself. Then you connect to something bigger than yourself. You go, look at all this stuff that's out here. This yeah. is freaking amazing. Wow, look at this world that's here. And you start to realize that you're not the only thing in this world. And there's something that may, there may be even a greater power that has created all of this. And you start to connect to that source of that power. And then you say to yourself, oh my God, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm a vulnerable human being at the, in the midst of this whole world that's being created. What am I doing here? Right. And it's only then that your purpose starts to come to you. It's then that you say, there must be some reason why I'm here. I'm, I'm not just myself. I'm myself in this bigger reality. I must have been brought here for some reason. What's that reason? In, from the beginning of time till, the, till this moment, no one has ever done what I'm going to do. Because if they had, I wouldn't have needed to be created. Right. And from this moment on till the end of time, no one will ever do it because I will have done it. So don't you think it's sort of important to take a few minutes to figure out what that is? Yeah. And to sit with yourself and in that, in that open, kind place, in that vulnerable place, and ask that greater power than ourselves with the kindness of all of our heart. What am I doing here? Hmm. And when we listen, it'll tell us. And it's then when we're kind and vulnerable and purposeful that we come together with each other. That's when we change the world. That's when a small group of people, they don't have to have share the same purpose. They all just have to be purposeful. They all just have to be kind, open and vulnerable, willing to listen to each other and embrace each other. It's then that we can have these connections. It's then that we can change the world. It's then that we can do amazing things because we are here together with no shield, with no barriers, with no, with nothing. Hmm. And we walk into the world as warriors, warriors of love, warriors of contagious viruses of love that share that love. And we don't fix people or change people. It just, it happens in our presence. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I wanted to touch base on your podcast real quick because you've got this really cool thing going on. You're having 50 conversations with 50 strangers. Uh, what inspired you to do this 50 with 50 here? So originally I was going to go out on this trip and then the COVID right. came. Okay. And so I thought, well, I can't go out on the trip. Why don't I try and just have conversations online with people? So I put some of the posts up and say, you know, I was going to go on this trip. How about if we have a conversation? Crickets. I got nothing. Wow. And then I somehow bumped into a guy and I had him on my podcast just the other day. I have another podcast called the Mosaic Podcast, right. which is about pivotal moments in people's lives where things suddenly change for no reason. And I heard about this guy who, who was having 500 lunches with 500 strangers. <laughs> and I thought, what a fabulous idea. Yeah. 
but we can't have lunches now with people. I can't have lunch because nobody's letting us go out, but I can have conversations. And so I wrote him and I said, I'm inspired by what you're doing. Would it be okay with you if I did 50 conversations? He said, are you kidding? I said, of course you can. That, I mean, I would love that. Wouldn't it be great if there was just, it just took off and everybody started doing something like this? Yeah. And he said, it wasn't even my idea. I took it from another woman who had a hundred lunches with a hundred strangers. <laughs> and so you're not even taking it from me. And I'm going to have her on my podcast too, because I just think that there are innovators of ideas that happen and the ideas are good. And as soon as I put out 50 conversations with 50 strangers, I've been inundated. I thought it was going to take six, six months to have those conversations. I have conversations from seven in the morning until eight, eight o'clock at night with people. <laughs> wow. And I, I'm already done with the first series of conversations. So I'm starting conversations, 50 more conversations, 50.2 okay. yeah. is what I'm calling it. Because, and there's something that happens, Eric. I don't know what it is. I mean, I do know what it is. In that room, there's magic that happens because when people feel loved and accepted, listened to and heard, they feel that their opinion is acknowledged and validated. Suddenly all the fight disappears. They don't need to sort of yell and scream anymore. Right. All that, all that they do is they open up and somehow everything that isn't them dissolves away. It falls apart. And suddenly they show up. I was just on a call with someone this morning. And I was looking at her very, very well, well-respected woman. And I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, do you feel any different now than you did when you first came into the room? And she said, oh my God, I can't believe you're saying that because I'm looking at my face in the, in the screen. And my face is completely changed. I've softened up and I feel like all, I feel like I'm in my heart all of a sudden. Wow. I said, I said, what happened? She said, you happened. You just held this space for me and I felt so loved and, and, and accepted. I felt so listened to. You know how rare it is for someone to spend their time in 100% attention with another person? And she said, you did that for me. You're doing that for me right now. Wow. And when we do that for another person, they feel they don't have to defend themselves anymore. They don't have to yell and scream. My daughter taught me that. I have a 30-year-old developmentally delayed daughter. She can't speak like you and I speak. And it's just mm -hmm. a fast story because I know I'm running over, out of time. You're way over time. Sure. sure. But when she speaks, nobody understands her because she, she's hard to understand. But because I know her for all these years, I've been with her whole life. Yeah. I understand more than most people. But sometimes, Eric, I don't understand her either. Mm. And when I don't understand her, she doesn't like that. So she, she, she wants me to understand her. So she says it louder. And she knows I'm getting old and maybe my ears are going a little <laughs> bit weak. But it isn't because I can't hear her. It's because her pronunciation isn't clear enough and I don't understand her. Right. And I say, I say, sometimes when she raises her voice, she changes the way she says it. And I do actually hear something different, but not very often. Okay. So when she yells it and I can't understand it, then what happens is she tantrums. Mm -hmm. And the tantrums don't happen just spur of the moment. They can happen an hour later or they can happen a day later because she's frustrated 
that I don't hear what she's saying. So it can be while we're in a restaurant, in a table, having having a meal. It could be when we're driving in, in, a, in the car. It could be when we're at a friend's house. It could be at the dining room table at our home. It could be when I take her on a business trip with me and, I sh- and, and we're, I'm in the middle of a meeting. Not the most convenient moments, sure. right? And when that doesn't work, she'll come running at me and try and rip my shirt or bite me. And Eric, I think that I'm an intelligent man, but I couldn't figure this out. And it went on for 15 years. So not every day, thank God, or else I would have no hair. I just, my, all my hair's turned white. Sure. But it went on oftentimes some three, four, 10 times a day. Mm. And I was just exhausted by it. I couldn't do anything. I love this girl more than anything in the whole world. Yeah. I want to hear her and understand her more. And I said that to her. I said, Elisa, you know how much I love you and how much I want to hear you. And she was in the midst of rage. And I said, I can't understand your words. Can you try to tell me what you're thinking with not using words? Tell me another way. And she said, I am daddy in perfect English. Wow. I said, what the hell are you talking about? I am daddy. How are you doing that? Like, tell me that. Like, I've been, why, why are we waiting 15 years for that? Tell me what you're doing. Yeah. And she went like this and she put her finger to the side of her head. And I said, I understood that she was putting thoughts in my head. I said, you little son of a gun. Have you been putting, have you been putting thoughts in my head all this time? And she started laughing that uncontrollable laugh that comes when all the tension of trying so hard to communicate is relieved. And she, and I finally understood her. And, And she said, yes, daddy, that's what I'm doing. Do you know, Eric, from that moment forth, she's never, ever, ever again yelled, tantrumed, or attacked. Unbelievable. So I said, this is unbelievable. Just like yeah. you said, this is unbelievable. Yeah. I said, I wonder if this exists outside of Elisa. Right. And I started to take it into boardrooms and see if it worked. I started to take it into homeless shelters and see if it worked. I started to take it into government offices and see if it worked. I started to take it and work with in the work I do with entrepreneurs and in the work I do with families. Do you know in every single situation I took it into, I saw exactly the same behaviors as my daughter. When people speak and they don't get heard, they yell. Mm-hmm. When they yell and they don't get heard, they create havoc. They create a scene. They disrupt something. They make something uncomfortable. They make an ugly. They make an ugly situation. When that ugly situation doesn't work, they destroy, they attack and destroy. They can blow up a building. They can shoot people in a square. They can they can try and ruin a they can ruin a marriage. They can try and ruin a reputation. They can try and take down a business. They can try and take down another human being. Yeah. And my thirty-year-old developmentally delayed daughter taught me how to how to retrofit that. Wow. If we were to listen to people and find a way to hear them. And I don't say people should know. It took me 15 years to figure sure. it out, right? Yeah. And this is my daughter that I love more than anybody. But if we could just find a way to listen to them, and if we can't understand what they say, find another way, talk with them and listen and say to them, how can I hear you? Yeah. We would have no more arguments. We would have no more wars. We would have no more disagreements because nobody in my 65 years of being alive no one's ever said to me, Danny, you have to agree with me. Right. All they've ever said is, thank you so much for, I really felt like you heard me. Mm-hmm. And we can all do that. We don't need a college degree. We don't need to be ordained in a religion. If we just care enough to listen, and we just care enough about what somebody's saying, and we have no agenda of trying to make them believe what we believe, just let them believe what they believe. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. I want to start a revolution of listening, Eric, where we just listen to each other. Uh, I love it. It's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> Daniel, such an honor to have you on my show today. This was so touching. You are a world changer for sure, man. And, and thank you so much for taking the time and just truly feel honored that you came on my show today. It's my honor. Thank you for having me, my friend. I look forward to more conversations with you. Thank you so much for watching the show today. I so appreciate it. Please leave a comment down below. Leave us a review. Share this video. We want to get it in front of as many people as we can. I'm going to continue to bring on the best guests possible from world changers, entrepreneurs, success-minded people, and the best up-and-coming fighters, real fighters, real stories. We are creating visionaries here on this channel. Thank you so much for checking it out. Have an awesome day.